we are a society and a culture and I believe there are generations that are coming up behind me that, that we're, we, we, we have lives, we have weeks that are void of the power of God's word. Weeks. And so I'm not trying to make anyone feel guilty. If you're feeling guilty, that may be like the Holy Spirit saying something to you. But the word of God is alive and it is powerful. And the word of God has the answer to your question. I will be bold enough to say that. I think in the church, in our culture, we know what this is. We know this is a Bible. I don't think there's probably many people in this room that would say, no, this is not the inerrant word of God. I think we could probably find some in our community, but I would say even in our community that we would not find many people who would argue with us that that this is the word of God and it is inspired by God. I believe we would all agree on that. But for some reason, there is just a lack of following through with knowing that this is the word of God and actually knowing the word of God. It's a big difference. And so I don't say that to be legalistic. I don't say that to say, if you're not reading God's word, you're not loved by God. I'm not. But I am saying that you and I have sometimes long periods of voids where the word of God is not lived out through our life. And maybe I'm just speaking to myself. So in Isaiah chapter 40 is where we're going to go this morning. And I said there's going to be some questions popping up on the screen. The first question that's going to pop up on the screen is a very simple question. But it's also very profound. The question is, who is God? Ponder that for just a few moments. Who is he? Who is God? Maybe the next question, and it won't be on the screen, but it's, how have you come up with your answer for that? Who has been leading you into knowing God? Who's influenced you? Who's been teaching you? Whose word have you taken? Who's been an influence? Who's been a guide? Who has told you who God is? See, we talk about living under another culture. We talk about this kingdom culture, and it's just not a a buzzword. It's just not some tagline. There is a kingdom that is the place where God lives, reigns. And Jesus, God's son, prayed, hey, dad, we would love for your will to be done here on this earth as it is happening in your kingdom. There's a kingdom God is sovereign over his own kingdom. And if we are wanting to operate on a daily basis, live out in this community from a standard of God's kingdom and not the one the world has given us, then we must know who the king is. We have to know his characteristics 
We have to know his nature. We have to know his personality. We have to know who God is. I tell you some very, very transparent story, and my wife's not in this service. She's coming to the second. Maybe I have to switch it up. I don't know. It was my fault. Let me just say at the core, from the get-go, it was my fault, all right? It, actually, let me say this. Her parents are in this room, and I will blame them. It is their fault. How about that? Because they allowed her to marry me. What does this have to do with knowing God? Well, here it is. The year is 1999. Daisha and I have been dating since 1992. August 7th, 1999, we get married. Honeymoon, best thing ever. I have a different career than I do now. I used to play golf for a living and I traveled. So immediately as we come home from our honeymoon, we hit the road. We spent one week in Myrtle Beach playing golf. So we're now in September of 1999. The next week, we head across, halfway across the country for Houston, Texas for about three weeks. And that's where it all started to unravel. I mean, seriously, started to unravel. We're in the middle of the country. We're in Houston, Texas. We haven't been married a month. And she discovers who I really am. Bad time to be finding that out, right? Anger. Vulgar language. Selfish. And that's just a few. She would name many more. Maybe one day I'll have her tell this story because she would sit in our car in the parking lot waiting for me to tee off in tears and prayer. I can remember the hotel that we stayed in. It was right there near the Houston airport. This was about week two in Houston, probably to this date one of the largest fights that we have ever had. Guys, we just got married. She had left me halfway through on the ninth hole. There's 18 holes in golf. On the ninth hole, she was my caddy. On the 10th hole, I was my caddy. (laughs) I knew that she had had enough, but I hadn't. I came back to the hotel, and this is stuff that my family doesn't probably even know. We fought. Listen, don't feel sorry for her. She fights really well, okay? I know what y'all are thinking over there. How dare he? No, listen, you should be feeling sorry for me. What followed was yelling. I had an anger issue. And I'm a fighter. I took the remote control to the hotel TV and I snapped it in half. Threw it as hard as I could against the wall. And truly, I don't remember what else happened after that. We endured the next week. And here's God's sovereignty at work. If we would have been anywhere bordering the state of North Carolina, we would have been divorced. 
but the Lord put us a two-day drive back home. Because before we even got out of Texas, and Houston is on the east side of Texas, before we had even left Houston, we had both agreed that this was it. And we'd only been married about a month. Divorce was agreed upon. But God said, nope, you got to stay in the car with her for another day and just watch what I do. That's real. Why do you say that, Scott? It's because we entered into a relationship and she didn't know who I was. See, I, I think that the age that we live in, our culture around us, the way people just live life, we live in a digital and a cyber social media. And listen, I'm not knocking social media. But I do think that this digital age, this social age that we have been given is, is leading us, many of us, into a false sense of relationship. I've got thousands and thousands of friends on Facebook. And on many of those friends, I know what you do. If you're not at church on Sunday, I mean, I'm looking at Facebook Sunday afternoon. I know you're going to the Panther game. I know what you do. I know what you like. I know what you don't like. Thousands of you, friends and followers. But I have no clue who you really are. And so we may have a digital cyber age. But what it is giving off is a sense, a false sense of relationship. And that's all fine and good in social media and stuff. I mean, I don't need to be like deeply into your stuff. But what is scary is that that has been and is continuing to overlap into the way that many of us followers of Jesus relate with God. I mean, we know who he is. Like we know what he likes, what he wants. We know what God does. I mean, every single one of you in this very room, whether this is your first time ever attending church or not, could tell me that something, you could tell me something that God has done. You know what he does. But a lot of us have a false sense of relationship with God because we just don't know who he is. And I'm talking about not just knowing of God. No, the, the Greek word, listen, I'm not Pastor Brent, so I don't try to be Pastor Brent. I'm not even going to try to announce the name and it may not even be Greek. It may be like Wahlbergese, all right? <laughs> but there's another word for no, K-N-O-W. 
that, that God is longing to bring us into with his nature and his characteristic, his personality, who he is, what he is like, and what he is wanting to do on this very earth. And it's the word, and it's a much deeper word for know than just knowing of someone. And this word that God uses, that he longs for us to know him, means that he wants us to dive deeply, intimately into knowing who God is. You see, that's what's happened over the last 19 years with me and my wife. I still don't know her. I'm still journeying to learn her. Now listen, she's got me wrapped around her finger. She knows everything about me, all right? But me on her side, I'm still learning intimately knowing about her. Isaiah chapter 40. This is the God that we are longing to know. Isaiah 40 says this about God, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand or with the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens, who has held the dust of the earth in a basket. Wrap your mind around that. Who has weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance? Who has understood the mind of the Lord or instructed him as his counselor? Who did the Lord consult to enlighten him? Who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? I want to say this to you. As we go throughout this upcoming week and we journey through this thing called life, I pray that there will be some moments and space in your week where you will get to ponder alone with just you and God. God, who is it? that has colored in the picture of who you are for me. See, a lot of times I think even down here in our beautiful Southern culture, we just take someone else's experience with God and we want to make it our own. And so their encounter with God becomes our God minus the encounter. I love church. This is a wonderful, I love this place. But let me just say that you do not just open up and allow people like myself to feed you knowledge and understanding of who God is. I think a lot of times we've made the mistake of that I am the one that is the go-between between you and God and that is not the way God designed this thing. You don't need to know God the way I know God. I know that sounds a little scary. But I long and desire for you to know God as he longs for you to know him. I want you to know your God. Because he is personal and he wants an intimate relationship with you. You 
will discover attributes and characteristics about our God that I may never journey through. I pray that sometime this week, maybe you're sitting in your truck and the radio is off and you just sit there and you say, God, I want to know you. Who are you? I know what Pastor Scott says about you, but who are you? And then just get ready. And Isaiah 40, it goes on and it says, to whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One. Lift your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls them each by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. That's God. I want to know more about him. You mean to tell me that this God is, 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 is less intriguing, is less awe-inspiring. What occupies your thought and your time? Be honest with yourself. What is it? What occupies this space? What is it? What occupies this? What occupies your space and your thought? What you go to bed thinking on and what you come awake thinking about? What is that? I guarantee you, for the majority of Americans, I guarantee you, It is not the fact that God knows the starry host each by name. That should cause us to be in awe of a God that wants to know me personally. Who is God? Who's teaching you? Where are you learning it? who's speaking into it. Those are great questions to ask. Let me take a little turn here because we're not going to get far here this morning. We'll go finish this next week. Let's talk about next week. Let's talk about this next week. We're going to talk about how that God that I just read about in a small little portion of scripture, that God is pursuing you. Yes, every single one of you. We'll go there next week. How about this? There are some of us in this very room that we're hearing this this morning that Lord is speaking to us. And what I know for a fact is that we need to release in this room right now the freedom to explore and discover who God is. If we're wanting to live according to his kingdom rules, then we have to know who he is. 
And just being very honest, there's a lot of people in this very room, in this small room today, who discovering God is not going to take place because some man preached for 45 minutes. But what we have shrunk this whole thing down to is that if you don't discover God in this hour or hour and a half time frame once a week, then we're not going to know who God is. And so there has to be freedom released in this room for you men and you women and our students and our children to discover who God is. And I just trust God enough that if we get off a fraction, he is going to align us back up to him. If our heart, our longing is to know God, I mean to know him, if we get off a tick, he loves you so much that he is going to say, no, that's not me. I think we've been afraid of getting off just a tick. And so what we have done is we have just kept it right here. We've kept it nice and neat with shiny, straight edges. And we have been missing God all along. Let me just say, I want you to have the freedom to explore him to discover him any way that he leads you. I wrote down some ways. Listen, man, don't don't take advantage of what I'm getting ready to say because there is something very, very generationally impactful when a dad loads up his wife and children and drives to a church service on Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, whenever it would be. There is something generationally impactful when that takes place. And so what I'm getting ready to say is not an out. Ha, see, he told me, I don't even have to come to church on Sunday morning. I'm going to play golf. You can discover and learn who God is by playing golf. If you need to go sit in the woods in a deer stand, you can discover who God is that way. If you need to go split wood, you can discover who God is that way. If you need to go sit in a quiet closet with the lights off, you can discover God that way. If you need to go out and build something, if you need to go out and do something with your hands, you can discover who God is that way. You don't have to be listening to a podcast. You don't have to have a passage of scripture in front of you. You can actually be mowing the yard and God encounters you and tells you about who he is right then and there. Explore who God is. He is not limited to these straight lines and this way. God is just waiting for us to discover who he really is. You say, Scott, give me some better guidelines than that, and I can't. See, because if I start to give you guidelines and rules and regulations, we'll fall in love more with those rituals, routines, and regulations, and then we're right back to religion. Here's what I ask. 
And what I read through this New Testament when the Holy Spirit was given to us, I read through the gospel message and I read through Paul's letters. I read that there is a relationship between knowing God under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Because if we're trying to know, discover God on man's own strength, the best that we're going to find is religion. And what I have personally discovered, maybe it's not this way for you, but what I've personally discovered is that when I'm trying to do it, I'm trying to do things to discover and know who God is. When I try to follow someone's rules, a list, a bunch of regulations, I get frustrated. And so me trying to discover God on my own strength, I don't know if any of you have ever done this. I said, you know what, I'm going to be really good this week. I'm not going to sin. I'm going to to try to read the Bible. I'm going to try to do my devotions. I'm going to try to pray for about five minutes. That's gotten me nowhere. Because religion leads to frustration. And I don't know if you understand or if you know this, but the word of God says that God is spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And so if we are not operating in freedom, there may be a problem. Jesus addressed this. So take his word for it. Look at the book of Mark. I love this. This is powerful. Go home. We're not going to have time to dive into this today. It's Mark 7. Look at Mark 7. This is Jesus talking. Let me just real quick. Verse 6, it says, Jesus says this. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips but their hearts are far from me. Jesus then says in verse seven, they worship me in vain. You know what that means? That word vain actually means fruitlessness. It means that we went out and we worked hard in the garden. We tilled it up. We got it ready. We threw a bunch of seed out there and nothing came. That's harsh, Jesus. And he says that your worship is in vain. This one hits hard here. It says their teachings are but rules taught by men. If you go over into the book of Acts, you know we don't have time here today, but there's a, there's a, um, a Pharisee by the name of Gamaliel. And, and he is the one who said this. He said, hey, Leave these men alone. These are disciples. If what they're doing is of man, guess what? What did he say? If it's of man, what's going to happen? It's going to fail. So what that causes me, I have to do this on a daily basis. I have to step back and I have to ask myself, is what I ain't doing, is it on manpower? I love you guys enough just to say and to push you and maybe maybe cause you to ask the right question. Is what I'm doing or a part of, is it powered by man? 
Because Luke recorded Gamaliel's word, and he says, if it's of man, it's going to fail. But he said, if it's of God, though, he said, hey, listen, basically quit fighting against them because you're just fighting against God. That's what I need. And I don't just need that on Sunday morning. I need that. I need that every day of the week. I need it with my wife. I need it with my children. God knows that I need it in every relationship that I have. That if I get in the way, there is going to be, not possibly, but there is going to be a void and that leads to destruction. Jesus goes on here and he says, you have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to the traditions of men. I have to tell you about the Holy Spirit here this morning. I have to tell you about allowing him, allowing him. I want to lead you under his influence, but you cannot take what I say and just live off of it. Under the influence of the Holy Spirit, we are out here discovering who God is. Jesus says, we're so guilty of this. That we've let go of the commands of God and are holding on to the traditions of men. And he said to them, you have fine way of settling aside, or setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. How about this? Hey God, what are you wanting? God, what are you desiring? God, who are you? I think a lot of times, I know for me, God looks way more like I do than I look like him. As I journey in this thing and as I try to lead and as I try to teach and as I just try to live a life and this journey with God it's amazing if I'm just being honest with myself how many times God looks and sounds and responds way more like I do than me looking and sounding and responding as God would So who is he? See, I almost even hesitate to go any further. A couple of questions we have to answer. Do you want to know him? 
That's a big one. Do you want to know him? Just be honest. Here's the question I even hesitate to ask, but I'll ask it. I'm just saying that this is me and this is not, this is a guide. This is not yours. My fingerprint and yours are different. My relationship with God is different. This is what it's looked like. And I'm just going to just give you one. How, how, how do I discover who God is? I, I think I've already given you like probably, hey God, I want to know who you are. And then we just get ready. For me and for my family, getting to know his character and nature did not come about the way that I thought it would come about. That's just me. I've had many conversations with God. God, can't you just teach me your ways and who you are and reveal your glory to me in like the good times? Can't I be at the Dixie Classic Fair eating a fried Snickers, watching people for hours on end, and you show me who you are? I've missed that all along. But if there is a desire to intimately know this God who is alive and at work on this earth and you have that heart that says I want to know you God I want to know your characteristics and your ways then God show me my 14 year old daughter on the car ride home last night and we were talking about the seasons of change She's 14. She's being greatly influenced by our student ministry here. She said in the car, yeah, it's not been a good season. But it's amazing how God can use anything to teach him, teach us about him. That's from a 14-year-old who I did not know did anything but play on her phone. She must be watching like podcast of Francis Chan or something. No, she's not. She's on Instagram and all that stuff. But she said, it's amazing to see how God can take anything. Did you hear that? Anything. And show you who he is and how good he is. So how do you know God? This is the last thing I'm going to say. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 is this last, last thing. Colossians 1, 15 says this. Mm, I'll just let you read it. You see that? Do you know who Paul's referring to here when he says he... Paul's not referring to himself. Do you know who he's referring to here when he says he? Anybody? Jesus. So let's remove the word he and let's put in the name Jesus. Jesus 
is the image of the invisible God. And so again, several months ago, a friend of mine, when I went over to his house and I said, I need, I need some help and I need some answers. I'm at a place where I'm in over my head. I don't have a clue what to do. Hey man, I need something. I went to him thinking that he was going to give me something to put into practice. And what he told me was, read the word. Why do I say that? Is because this entire book, old and new, is pointing to one person, and his name is Jesus. And so a great starting point in answering for yourself of who is God is this entire book is pointing to who God is because Jesus is the image of God. You can find his nature his characteristics, his personality, all right here is telling us who God is. 